Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor Greg Jefferson, investigative reporter Brian Chasnoff, columnist and editorial board member Kerry Clack. And uh, we're recording this on uh, March 21st. We wanted to start off by talking about an issue that is, uh, I think, is rightly gotten a lot of uh, attention and is having a, a big impact, which is the the latest uh, sort of move among um, some of our Republican leadership against transgender kids and transgender individuals in, in general uh, in the state. Um, last year, we had uh, the legislature pass a bill that um, essentially banned transgender kids from participating in school sports. 2017, uh, they there was an attempt by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick to pass a bathroom bill that would force um, transgender uh, people to use restrooms that uh, did not align with their trend, with their uh, gender identity. But I think the latest uh, action is is one that's uh, is particularly alarming, um, and it's it's I think it's creating a lot of fear among among parents in the state. Uh, we had a, a, a directive from Governor Greg Abbott last month that instructed Texas Child Protective Services to launch child abuse investigations against parents who uh, provide gender affirming care or uh, seek out gender affirming care for their transgender kids. For anyone who who was uh, interested in this issue, uh, Taylor Goldenstein, who works in the Austin Bureau for the uh, Express News and the Houston Chronicle, uh, had a, a piece this weekend in which she talked to parents of transgender kids in the state. And uh, it really gives you an idea about the fear that, that many of them are feeling right now that when they hear a knock at the door, the, the, the concern that they, that there might be some investigation that they're uh, being launched against them. We've seen 65 businesses in the state or 65 businesses uh, in the United States um, sign on a letter denouncing this, this policy. Um, I guess I want to start with you, Greg, uh, you know, this, this has been kind of a fixation among Republican leadership in, in the state for a while. This is the issue of, of uh, transgender individuals. Do you think that when you have businesses coming out like this and saying this is creating fear among, you know, our employees, this is creating an environment that we wouldn't want to, you know, operate in. Do you think that will have any impact at all? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly don't. I think you're probably right. I, I believe, yeah, no, I mean, you know, look, business, you know, every now and then you'll have coalitions of big businesses step up for abortion rights, for, uh, for, uh, voting rights. And it, it's, uh, it has very little effect on Texas Republicans and, uh, Republican leadership in particular. So Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, you know, Attorney General Ken Paxton, it doesn't, it doesn't stop them. I think their calculation is, um, you know, their, their base support, you know, it's a very populist, it's a populist movement. And uh, to be opposed by big business in some ways is actually shores them up with their base. Uh, This isn't, you know, this isn't, the Republican Party of 20, 30 years ago. It's it's not. It, it It's not, you know, it, big business, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies often, you know, in a lot of cases, unless you're talking about oil and gas, they're more aligned with the Democratic Party. And it's been that way for a long time. I think what you're seeing 
in Texas is, uh, you know, the Abbott is obviously taking things to the extreme. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, the effect it could have on major corporations is is a secondary consideration for him. I think he's daring them to do something about it. Yeah. Um, you know, his he's not doing it for them. He's not doing it against them. He's not even really thinking about them. He's thinking about uh, this far right uh, grassroots support that, you know, is dominating the Republican primary. Yeah, I, I should mention too that in 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 addition to that letter uh, over the uh, another development we've seen over the past couple of weeks on this issue uh, is that we had a district court judge uh, who at least temporarily bl- blocked this order, um, and Ken Paxton, the Attorney General, has made it clear that he is going to pursue an appeal. Uh, Kerry, what what were your thoughts when uh, when this this uh, order came down from from Governor Abbott? It's it's cruel, it's it's obscene. Um, and it's not these kids who I've seen. It's this, this, this targeting of them, this targeting of their parents, this, in a way, kind of mocking true victims of child abuse with, with, uh, with trans, transgender children. And, I, I, you know, yeah, reading Taylor's story in, in your, your column, it's chilling that people are afraid that someone is knocking on their door because they're afraid they're going their children are going to be taken away from them or they're afraid they're going to be taken away from their parents and it's 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 totally unconscionable and i just wish that that abbott would at least pretend that he's not just the governor of people who vote for him that he's not just the governor of people who are going to help him on his Fools errand to be president of the United States, but the fact that you would do this to kids and target them, target them, and go after parents—it's unconscionable. Yeah, and and you know, Brian, uh, one of the things that, that we've uh, seen with the Republican Party, and certainly in Texas recently, is this emphasis on parental rights. Parents, they they should have the right to 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 uh, have a say in. Uh, what's being taught in their class, their kids' classes, and what books are in the school library, and whether their their kids wear masks to school during the pandemic or not, and, and they're always talking about parental rights. And here we're dealing with an issue where we've got parents trying to to do what they think is best for kids in challenging circumstances, and right. getting doc, getting and, and seeking out doctors' help. And in this case, they're saying parents don't have rights. I mean, what what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean the the hypocrisy there kind of shows the the hollowness of of their of of that principle um, of that professed principle by by the right wing of the party. I mean, I think it's it, this is just kind of a spiral effect where politics has has gotten so much more toxic over the past decade, and really the only considerations that leaders in Texas seem to have these days is whether or not their base will reelect them. And so they're reduced to these sort of increasingly outrageous, you know, initiatives. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, more toward the, toward the end of the podcast about, uh, about the state of our politics and, uh, and uh, what's, what's sort of causing it and, and uh, if, what, if anything can be done about it. I wanted to move on to uh, something that came up last week and this is Greg, this is something that uh, you and your business team have been, 
have been all over is the uh, the issue of uh, Elon Musk's boring company and uh, the this uh, project, which is uh, I guess it'd be like a loops uh, a, a loop of tunnels that would. would the idea of being sh- yeah. shuttling people from the airport to downtown, it, it's, it sounded like last week um, they were able to kind of take another step forward toward maybe getting this uh, this project done. Uh, what happened? Yeah, it's funny. So uh, the uh, Alamo Regional Mobility Authority, uh, originally this, this agency had been set up, basically tolls were going to be their big uh, mm-hmm. thing, their big revenue generator. But, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, it made, you know, it was clear that tolls just weren't going to happen. So they've been looking for uh, revenue generators and they kind of settled on this airport to downtown idea. Uh, the Boring Company had pitched this last summer. Uh, the RMA then took kind of the, the outline of the Boring Company's idea, which is, you know, a series of underground tunnel, well, tunnels. Uh, looping the airport to the downtown area, presumably the convention center. The RMA then invited other companies to compete kind of on that basis, airport to downtown, what's your project? Uh, they they picked the Boring Company, not surprisingly. Nobody, you know, everybody kind of knew that it was always going to be the Boring Company. And lo and <laughs> yeah. behold, last Wednesday it was. Uh the, what what the RMA literally voted on was to negotiate a development agreement with the Boring Company to build this project. Um, they feel that if you listen to uh, Michael Lind and other RMA members talk about it, it's as if they're almost embarrassed by it in a way. Uh, they <laughs> they are loath to say yes. We are working out a development agreement with the boring company to them it's all it's all we're we're further study we're talking about it still <laughs> and i think well, it's because why, they why do you think they're embarrassed about- well because it's i mean f- there's there's zero reason for this project as a transportation project if you think mm-hmm. about it as if you think about it as a way to kind of ease uh, traffic burden nobody feels burdened driving <laughs> 14 minutes from the airport to downtown it's not yeah. solving a problem Mm-hmm. And, you know, to the RMA's credit, they've been very clear about this. It's like, look, it's, you know, I think they'll give some lip service to, yeah, you could do it more. You could do transportation from the airport to downtown more efficiently, whatever. Uh, but really, it's about m- making money. They, they're they looking for revenue generators for the RMA so they can do other, you know, road projects in the region. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's fine. That totally makes sense. Uh, but this is, to me... And this is just personally speaking, it seems like a silly project to me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, what about, there was, there was one in Las Vegas, it, right? It, Isn't there one in Las Vegas? Like, it, yeah. Yeah. How, I mean, how it, has that worked? It's fine. I mean, they, it, it, but it's fine given all of these constraints that you don't have in San Antonio. In, uh, you know, the Las Vegas Loop, it's 1.7 miles, but it's all within the campus of uh, the Las Vegas Convention Center, mm-hmm. which is entirely city-owned. This is a vastly larger and more complicated project. This is unlike anything uh, the Boring Company has done in its very short history. I mean, this company was only founded in 2016. So they've not done, they've not, they've not completed a project of the scope they're talking about in San Antonio at all. Uh, the Las Vegas 
project, like I said, it was all, it, you know, per, licensing and permitting it was easy. It was all city owned. They, they built the tunnel. Um, and even at $1.7 million, uh, you know, basically taxpayers got stuck with $52 million, uh, you know, paying, paying for the mm-hmm. loop. It's 1.7 miles, has three uh, stations. There will be several stations. If this thing ever gets built in San Antonio, it'll, it'll have a number of stations between the airport and downtown. Uh, in Las Vegas, they have the capacity to do 4,000 uh, passengers an hour. I don't think they've ever hit, they've never gotten even close to that, I don't believe. Mm. Uh, but in San Antonio, uh, the, the RMA and the Boring Company, they have, they've released only the scantest of details of what they have in mind. And they'll tell you it's proprietary information and all of that. Uh, and, you know, whatever it could be. But the truth is they're now talking about a project that could cut costs upwards, not quite $300 million, but is wow. would approach that. I think it was on the high end, it was 290 something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those projects always go over budget. <laughs> I'm certain this would this one would, too. So is the idea that they would... Um issue bonds and then um, the RMA would be uh, sort of compensated then uh, with, with revenue that comes, comes in from the project over time. Yeah. Yeah. The idea is that the, the, this would be mostly paid for um, the boring company would pay just a small slice and I'm sure they'll make it out to be as large (laughs) as they'll make it seem as large as, as they can. But I think they're talking about, you know, about roughly $25 million contribution uh, to this project, most of it would be paid for with a revenue bond. So the way a revenue bond works is you you sell a re- revenue bond to build or kind of enhance an existing project. In this case, it would be this transportation loop. The bonds are repaid with revenue you make from that project. So like people who will pay money to be driven in a Tesla, you know, from the airport to downtown a slice of that will go to debt repayment and that's how they'll pay for it. So uh, last question on this uh, topic. I mean, how likely do you think this is to, to get. Uh, I mean, the boring company uh, they've, you know, they've, they've probably uh, withdrawn from more projects than they've completed. In fact, I mean, right now um, I, I'd say it's, it's probably, maybe 30% this thing gets built. Huh. Uh, you know, they, they, they did Las Vegas, uh, but that was easy. Like that's, that was one property with one property owner. Um, they've not really shown themselves able to, uh, to complete in other markets. So we'll see, but I, th- I, th- I think it's, you know, in the end, it's probably not going to happen. I think odds are against it. Yeah. Well, um, I wanted to kind of circle back to the issue of what's happening to our politics and um, and why we we see so much sort of sort of extreme action from our political leaders in this state. Um, last week, I spoke with um, two uh, people. I guess you could describe both of them as disaffected Republicans: former Texas uh, House Speaker Joe Strauss and former Congressman Will Hurd. Both of them left office voluntarily, but I think both of them um, felt somewhat alienated from, from their, their parties. And with both of them, I, t- I talked about um, this situation that we're in where there is so much um, focus on 
the the GOP base and, and sort of appeasing that. And both of them talked about the fact that you know we're we're in a state where we where we have about 17 million voters, but the our elections it's you know Republicans have been dominating statewide elections. A lot of our district races are gerrymandered, so our elections are are generally decided in run in the primaries. We had a, less than two million people voting in a Republican primary recently, so one million votes, or a little somewhere between five and six percent of the voters in the state, are kind of deciding th- things for a hundred percent of us, as as Joe Strauss put it. And so this kind of gets to the to the uh, the core of uh, Joe Strauss's situation because he had people like his former House colleague Lyle Larson uh, and uh, others encouraging him to run statewide. Um, I think with the idea of running as an independent, it's it's a really hard thing to do to raise the money and and knowing that people are probably when you get close to election day are probably going to go go home and go back to their to their party. And he, I think he feels like within the the Republican Party, this 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 just isn't that isn't really a a, a place where his his style of governing um, is in fashion right now, and so. Um, we have a clip from uh, a TV interview I did with him for a, a new show we, we have on Kaler and called Texas Talk. And he's going to talk a little bit about the thought that he had about running statewide this year and why he decided not to. So we're going to listen to that. Well, it wasn't just Lyle. I mean, I, I had old friends from around the state. They were in, encouraging me to some extent. Um, and I haven't sworn off, you know, politics or entering public service again in some way. Um but it wasn't the right time for me right now. Um, my approach to politics and to governing is not very much in fashion at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that bipartisanship is not a dirty word. I believe that pragmatism is not a dirty word. And I think empathy in politics is missing today. But it's not very fashionable. It's not very popular. And either really both parties are struggling to some extent with their extreme forces. And so it, the timing wasn't right for me. Kerry, what's, what's your reaction when you hear uh, former Speaker Strauss? I think someone who is, is pretty widely respected, I think, uh, by, you know, a lot of the people he served with in both parties um, as someone who's smart, who is a dedicated public servant, who, whether you agree with him or not on every issue, he's somebody who is, is I think, trying to, to find solutions to the problems we have in the state, what what do you what do you think when you hear him talking about about uh, why his 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 style of uh, of of governing just isn't uh, this isn't what is happening now in Texas? It's sad um, that you know, and I'm, I'm glad you played that clip because that's what what uh, jumped out for me in in that wonderful interview you did when when he talked about bipartisanship and especially pragmatism and empathy not being dirty words, not being, being bad words. Uh, Someone like a Strauss, someone like, like Larson, someone like Will Hurd, these are people who could attract the votes of, 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 of Democrats, of, of, of independents. And the fact that, it's 2022 and in 2023, they'll be on the sidelines. And what I, what didn't come through in that interview for me and what hasn't come through with, you know, whether it's coming from Will or anyone else is when does it end? Because we all kind of assume that after 
the former president left office, that the ties to him would be loosened. But they've been they've been strengthened, and that's what I, I respect conservatism, and I respect conservatives too much to call what's happening in Texas and across this country conservatism. It's not, and but I don't see where it where it ends if 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 people like Strauss and 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 Lau and Will on in the game running. Yeah, and 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 Will Hurd talked about. I mean, he was looking at. How, how do we get out of this? And he was saying, well, you know, we need to get more people to vote in primaries, which would certainly be a, a positive thing. And uh, he said also that because he thinks he thinks what we're seeing now is kind of what he refers to as, as the, you know, just the sort of fringe uh, edge of the party. Uh, I mean, the, you know, we could get into a debate about, you know, how how widespread some of these um, extreme views are within the Republican Party now. But so he thought if more people vote in the primary, that would that would be a positive thing. And also, we need to get candidates in these primary races who are willing to talk about working in a bipartisan fashion, who are who are uh, who will embrace that idea and aren't afraid to do that. But what I'm seeing is just that the when we have primary challenges, say to, to Governor Abbott, they're coming from even even further out, even even more extreme yeah. than than what he's doing. So it's it's it's. I don't really know how, how we get out of it. And, and Brian, I, I mean, I, is it, is it really just a matter of we have to have the general election voters, you know, penalize some of these candidates or these elected officials who are doing extreme things that they have to actually be penalized and, and removed from office for the message to get through that this isn't the path to success anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how you, I, I think it comes down to more people need to need to vote. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, when, I mean, when you look at the percentages of registered voters who actually turn out, it's 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 always very paltry. And you know, I mean, the, I've had the thought that perhaps you know, with, with the increasing outrage uh, of of some of these uh, positions that are being taken, that it might actually in, increase turnout and. And, and bring some more sanity to the to the uh, legislature. I was just going to say, I think Will Hurd is right. I mean, I think, you know, you have to induce more people, you know, get more people voting in, you know, the Republican and Democratic primary, particularly the Republican primary. But I mean, what he what he didn't say is like the way to do that is to introduce different kinds of candidates than we we typically see in Republican primaries. And that would be a more moderate candidate like Will Hurd, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like Joe Strauss. I understand why they don't want to do it, because they would get destroyed. Um, But that is one way of, you know, it's it's putting down a marker uh, for a more moderate politics and saying, well, there are Republicans within this party who aren't aren't extreme, who, who don't, you know, don't believe in, you know, targeting trans kids, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but they will lose. I mean, inevitably, because we're not there yet. Like you, you have this very narrow slice of the Republican party controlling the primaries and it take, it will take a number of cycles for that to change and a number of candidates stepping up who are more moderate. So I understand why they don't do it, but it's too bad because they just Strauss or Heard entering the race would help expand the electorate kind of in the long run. Gilbert, do you do you think Real is going to run for the Senate in 24? 
um, you know, I, I talked to him about his, his future plans and he's, he didn't, he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't really say too much. Um, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, skeptical about, about, about that. I think he's, um, I'm just not, I'm not getting, getting the feeling, you know, when I first, uh, you know, became aware that he had a book out, I thought, well, this is, uh, you know, this, uh, we even heard that he might run for, you know, run for president and that, uh, um, I thought, well, this might be a way of kind of, you know, kind of planting that flag. But I, when in talking to him, I, it was, I didn't get a strong feeling that he's planning anything. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's just a, how does what, this end then? I, yeah, that, that's the great, you know, the thing that, that I'll say is, and I can't quantify this, but I will say that, you know, after I did the, the, the interview with, uh, with Speaker Strauss, you know, I heard from some people and I'm going to, there are people I've known over the years, uh, from different parts of the state who have, uh, you know, voted Republican. And I was hearing from, from them when they saw this interview saying, wow, this is, we need more of this. We need more. And again, yeah. I don't know how to, I don't know what that means in terms of the, the, uh, the broader Republican electorate, but I, I just have this feeling that there are people who have historically voted a Republican, whether it was because they believe in low taxes or small government or pro-business policies and have seen it going in a certain direction. And they might not vote for Beto O'Rourke and they might not vote for certain Democrats. They, Ultimately, when it, uh, you know in November they may they may vote Republican, but they're kind of quietly getting frustrated and getting and they're they're not happy with some of the things that are going on. But they're not they're not at a point maybe where they're gonna, like I said where they're going to vote Democratic, but they're they are starting to become uh, disenchanted with what's happening. And I, I was just going to say I, I I agree with you about independent runs, how it always looks so attractive until it's finally time to go into the voting booth. But this year seems like this may have been that one year that kind of lost yeah. the road type of year nationally yeah. that he had in 92, that was that Strauss may have had a chance because there, I mean there's a lot of folks who 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 are Republicans who would who would vote for who can't think fathom themselves voting for for Beto. Uh, may hold yeah. their nose to vote for 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 Abbott, but if you have Strauss there, this very attractive moderate candidate, it seems like this may be may have been the one year when maybe it could have it could have worked. But you know, I you know that's I understand raising the money and everything, and just the feeling that it's not time. But I just don't know if if, if people of, of the quality of 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 the Joe Strausses and Will Hurts and Lyle Lawsons, if they're not in the running. And how does it end? Yeah, it, it basically you're kind of seeding the party. Uh, I mean, that's not the intent, but but it kind of seeds the party to these extreme elements. Well, I I think on that note we will uh, we will wrap things up and um, hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, we'll be back next week. Take care. Thanks.